0: Welcome into the Locked On Knicks podcast. I'm Gavin Shaw. Today, I'm joined by Jake Madison of the Locked On Pelicans podcast to discuss Zion Williamson, his potential availability, his injury history, his talent, and what a trade would look like with the New York Knicks, and whether the other Pelican star could actually be the better option. That next on Locked On Knicks.
1: You are Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes. He without a five. Ewing for the win. Yes! top left. Now fires it. And he's good! And he's fouled! And he's out! Anthony for three. Bang! That one goes down! He puts
0: up a three. Bang! Bang! Runs the left down the becomes infectious. You are Locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. I want to thank you for making Locked on Knicks your Christmas list and every day because you are now available on all platforms, and that includes on YouTube. So if you're listening five days a week, that would be the cue every day, and that would make you one of my best friends. If you want to do so, subscribe on YouTube, hit that notifications bell, comment, like, five-star review. All that good stuff, and uh, do the same on the audio side of things. But who's shilling for subs? I'm Gavin Shaw, your favorite play-by-play broadcaster's favorite play-by-play broadcaster. As noted earlier, I'm joined by the fantastic Jake Madison today to discuss Zion Williamson. We get into it a little bit in the pod, but I just wanted to reiterate, again, the reason we do these podcasts is not because I necessarily think it is extremely likely the Knicks will end up with Zion Williamson, but because I think in the offseason, when we're doing five or six of these a week. It's worth taking the temperature on some of the best players in the NBA who could be available. And for my money, I think Zion is the best guy who could realistically be traded in the entire league in the next year. How realistic is that? Let's talk about it right now with Jake. All right, as promised, I'm joined by Jake Madison, the fantastic longtime host of the Locked On Pelicans podcast. Uh, Jake, welcome in. Uh, You and I were were chopping it up a little bit pre-show an exciting offseason for you so far. Are you excited? Are you or not excited? Are you tired of saying the name Mariah mills? Are you just getting started? What's going on over at locked on Pelicans?
1: Yeah, I tried to stay out of that as much as possible. Certainly eventful and learned a whole lot of things that I never thought I was going to need to learn and probably didn't want to learn. So it's been more interesting around draft time than I was expecting it to be. But look, That kind of makes it fun. You never know what's going to happen the next day. And we were just like waiting on pins and needles for all of it.
0: So I I guess that's where I want to start because I feel like I I was watching like a thriller and it just cut off with 20 minutes left in the movie. What was the level of truth to Zion potentially being on the table for pick two or three, being dealt for Scoot Henderson? Because I feel like that's a good litmus test for the rest of this conversation going forward about how much it even needs to happen.
1: So- we've heard the woge reporting saying that zion wasn't he couldn't find a gm that said zion was offered or on the table and all of this is semantics. There there were conversations around moving on from Zion here in the New Orleans Pelicans. There have been conversations for about two years when it comes to all of this. Doesn't mean things are necessarily likely, but it wasn't that, no, the Pelicans called, say, the Portland Trailblazers and said, we'll give you the 14th pick and like two future lottery protected picks for the third pick, right? The the Pelicans were very interested in Scoot Henderson. They loved him as a prospect. They feel he's a guy that you could build an entire franchise around. So, you know, there was a lot of smoke and there was definitely fire behind all of that smoke. And I wouldn't say in those conversations that Zion was untouchable. I I think that was my general gauge
0: of what was happening as well. But I think it's a good point to establish because you you do these episodes and and you see comments like, why are we even talking about these guys? They're never going to get traded. And the rule of thumb with these guys always is they're never going to get traded until they are right No, No one's coming out and saying, yeah, yeah, we were we were shopping Zion. He's, He's totally available.
1: No, look, look, all of the stuff after the fact, right? And I have, like, people who listen to Lockdown Pelicans trying to kill me in the comments saying, like, hold that L, Jake, when Woj says, like, he was never on the table. Like, you put stuff out after the fact to kind of, like, give you plausible deniability so that they can go to Zion Williamson and say, like, no, we weren't actually looking at trading you to try and, like, smooth things over because players take do take this stuff personally. You know, same for Brandon Ingram, too. And you want to project an air of like security around your team and when it comes to future negotiations if if guys were truly on the table and everyone knows that you lose leverage in negotiation so anything you kind of hear after the fact is all spin coming out and designed for that purpose but yeah you know look with most traits most deals most things they don't end up happening right but it doesn't mean they didn't get close it doesn't mean that they're that there weren't discussions about that. So when you and I do a show like this, yeah, there's importance in doing this and we should be talking about this stuff because these are the conversations that are actually happening around the league. I mean, look at what happened with Jalen Brown in Boston last year that you could argue like
0: belatedly, but you can argue that it tanked their season, right? Like he might not have been all in. He still might not be on because of that Kevin Durant discussion. So these, there's a reason these things don't come out. And there's a reason you have him. And, and with Zion in particular, I think there's a reason you talk about it. Because until the day Luka gets tired of whatever's going on in Dallas, if things really go wrong in Milwaukee with Giannis, Like he is the prize on the table. And I know people will say, all right, he's played, what, 100 games in his career? Yeah, but he's that good. There's a reason you're still talking about him getting dealt. Straight up for a Scoot Henderson, because the ceiling is that high, and you get him and he plays, you are potentially going to be in the mix for an NBA championship. Um, So I guess big picture, where do you think New Orleans is at now with Zion Williamson? Was it Scoot Henderson or nothing? Was he sort of the perfect combination of a potential star who would also be on a rookie contract who you also didn't have to give up extra assets for? Or do you think there's a certain level of desperation here with David Griffin, um, as people like Bill Simmons have talked about saying – hey, if I don't get it right this year and if it gets to a point where Zion's like, I'm tired of this whole thing and you almost need to reset that clock, he's thinking in his mind, I have to get this right this year, whether that's with Zion or without Zion.
1: So there were three things that kind of made this all a reality and led to these type of conversations. You know, the the long and short of it, yeah, it was kind of Scoot Henderson or Bust. This wasn't Zion being offered up. This wasn't like he's on the table to anyone who gives us a call. It was, okay, Scoot going two, then we need to talk with Charlotte, Scoot going three, then we need to talk with Portland. And that's where the majority of the talks really went on around Zion Williamson. And we can get into the value in a second, because I'm curious your thoughts on that too, actually. You know, there were two other factors in this as well, other than just They were enamored with Scoot Henderson. The front office really likes him. They. View him as like a a camp miss prospect, but they also like his his personality. They like his leadership. You know the dog in him to use the cliche that everyone throws out on Twitter. They also like that he's very aware of his body. When you heard him talking up in the lead up to the draft, he he knows more about kinesiology than doctors do and things like that, and how the different muscle groups work well together and how to take care of your body to be that ultimate like professional basketball player. That's in stark contrast to Zion Williamson. Let's be perfectly. Honest here. So I think when David Griffin and the front office is dealing with a guy like Zion, you know, and you, you just want something different, you go for the exact opposite of that. And that seems to be Scoot Henderson here. The third factor in all of that, I believe, is really that, look, they're going to be in a salary cap crisis in about two years. They have three players making $30-plus million and we've seen under the new CBA, you just really can't have that. It just doesn't work if you want to have a somewhat balanced roster unless you're really going for broke like the Phoenix Suns are. So you have a prospect they love, a little bit of frustration with Zion Williamson, and the fact that they will probably have to blow this team up in some capacity in two years, which is it you know it's two years from now you don't need to do it this second right you can trade CJ M- McCollum further down the line but if you have a prospect you like you know there's no point in waiting a year when there isn't a Scoot Henderson level prospect out there so it's better to pull the trigger now on that sort of thing lest you lose you know leverage in negotiations so it's all of those factors that kind of pointed to okay we're going to have some talks with Charlotte or not Charlotte with with Portland and i think ultimately the, the main issue was how do you value Zion Williamson How do you value a guy that, as you just said, is such a talented player? He's an MVP-level player when he plays. He's a lock for an all-NBA team if he plays the entirety of the season. The problem is he played 29 games this past year. He missed the entire season before that. In the four years he's been in the league, he's had one healthy season, and that is it. That's tough. You know, you can have all the talent in the world, but if you're not playing, so what? And I think you look at him as exactly that with a
0: discount, right? Because those level of guys, regardless of what you think of Scoot Henderson for anything short of a Victor Wenbanyama level prospect, I don't think that's a one for one trade in general. And, and we're going to get into it at the end of the pod, but I'm curious of your thoughts of what a potential Knicks Pelicans trade, if it ever came to that down the road would look like because the Knicks do not necessarily have that premium asset outside of Jalen Brunson, who they're not dealing and if they don't, like, is there a world where you can cobble enough together with slightly lower level guys and a million picks and get that deal done? Because I think for a Luca or for a Giannis or for anyone on that tier, that's just not going to get the deal done. Even if those guys are asking out, even if they're asking to go to one place specifically, I don't think there's a world where you make that trade without a consistent all NBA level guy going back to the other team. And for Zion, I'm not quite sure if that's true. I think there's a world where that trade could be done with a player a notch below that as the centerpiece if there's enough picks in there. Uh, but for that to happen, I think there's going to have to be a deterioration between the relationship with Zion Williamson and the Pelicans for an office, Jake. I want to get into that in just a sec. But before I do, I want to tell everyone about our friends over at eBay Motors for a championship team. It's all about making sure every player is a perfect fit. It's the same when it comes to your vehicle. Every part needs to fit just right. So the next time you need parts and accessories, head to eBay Motors. Jake, I know you're a big fan of their work as well.
1: So, I work on all my own cars. I have a 50-year-old car, essentially, that I'm, like, restoring, fixing up, and all of my parts come from eBay Motors. You know, those all those old cars, right, you, you want them driving, even your current daily driver. If it's not driving, it's not doing you any good, and you need parts for that, and you need parts to fit so that you're not, you know, ordering other ones, and eBay Motors does that for you. That, that's that's
0: the beauty of the game and, and they have this feature called my garage all you have to do is add your ride and look for the green check to know how the part will fit or your money back It's just like in sports confidence is the name of the game when you shop at ebay motors with over 122 million parts to choose from you'll be back in the game in no time get the right parts the right fit and the right prices on eBayMotors.com. let's ride ebay guaranteed fit only available to u.s customers eligible items only exclusions do apply all right, um, let's see if exclusions apply to Zion Williamson and David Griffin. That's a great Griffin transition. Because, <laughs> because to me, that was a, maybe a stretch, but I, I tried it. Um, but I, to me, the only way he is still getting dealt this offseason, he's still getting dealt in the earlier part of next season, is if that relationship totally deteriorates. And we've heard mixed things about his relationship with David Griffin. We heard at one point, I think it was Brian Windhorst, who said he had no relationship at all with his teammates. And we heard CJ McCollum push back on that. Jake, can you get us a little bit closer to the truth? Where's Zion at on, on all those things?
1: It's somewhere in the middle. It's somewhere in the middle. He does not have the greatest relationship with the team. Like when Windhorse put that out there, I don't think he's inherently wrong. I think he took it to more of an extreme than it truly needed to be. And maybe that just sounds better, but he doesn't have a strong relationship with the franchise, with the front office, with some of the coaches. You know, he and David Griffin just aren't the best friends, let's put it. And they try, right? This team is trying to cater to him. Zion has also had issues with the medical staff, the player performance and care team, and has been previously reported the Pelicans are restructuring that right now. You know, they hired Aaron Nelson from the Phoenix Suns when David Griffin took over. That's kind of like a vaunted name in NBA circles, player care circles. And now they're booting him out the door, essentially. And you only do that to make Zion Williamson happy because Zion Williamson doesn't want to work with Aaron Nelson and doesn't like Aaron Nelson. So if you're making that type of big change, it shows that you're like, we still want to be in the Zion Williamson business and we're not trying to push this guy out the door. We're trying to cater to him. We're trying to make him happy and kind of mend that relationship. But the fact that you had to get there in the first place, it's not a great thing. In terms of his teammates, you know, he has a relationship with them. He's there right now. He's been around this summer more so than he has in the past. And he works out with them, spends time with them. CJ, you know, went on a podcast and said, like, I I just worked out with him the other day at the team facility. But that's the key at the team facility. You know, when they have off-season workouts, they had them in San Diego last year. They had them, maybe it was in Phoenix the year before that. Zion didn't show up to those. He doesn't go and work out with the team kind of in the deep part of the off-season in the summer when everyone's getting together, and it's basically been every single Pelicans player other than Zion Williamson showing up there. Maybe that'll change this off-season, but I do think that's a little bit telling to a degree on everything. Now, he's got a lot of endorsements, he's got a lot of other things that he needs to be doing, but you should probably make time to go work out with your team. There was one year in Summer League, the year that he missed the whole season, where he was in Vegas, and he didn't come around the team at all. You know, he didn't show up to one of their Summer League games, he didn't go to any of their practices, and you know, he's probably blocks away. It says something, I think, about his level of disconnectedness from the team I think that's gotten better as time has gone on last year when they made a run to the playoffs winning the playing tournament playing the Phoenix Suns in the first round he was in Portland he came back early because he wanted to hang out with the team and be part of it that's a good thing but it's not like he's particularly close you know they have a group text chain he doesn't really respond to anything in there doesn't make jokes doesn't do all of that stuff so yeah there's a level of disconnect there but I also think maybe that's just him right maybe he's an independent person not every player has to work out with their team in the offseason especially when you're you know an established star like that. So, there's some truth to it, but the Pelicans are doing also what they can to make him comfortable, to make him happy. So, I don't see a complete like deterioration of the relationship in the next year or two.
0: Yeah, I think I think it's always tricky to have these conversations. Because I'm I'm sure you're aware on the Knicks side we've had to have them about Julius Randle and they always like y- you have to tread lightly because you start stepping into like talking about like someone's like morality or at least that's what it feels like when it's all just about basketball at the end of the day but in terms of how it translates to winning like like that kind of sweat equity, like whether it's, it's physical or it's like emotional or just connective. Like, I think that stuff matters. Is it what it's what makes Steph Curry a great leader. It's what made someone like Tim Duncan, a great leader. And I, I think you inevitably again, carefully have to have those same conversations about his injury history. Right. And, and and I'm sure Jake, you, you've done this over and over and over again, but where are you at on this point? Because it's, it's been again, three out of the four years he's been in the NBA um, where he's had major, major issues with this. and, Some of it is obviously physical and some of it's his weight combined with his athleticism. And at the end of the day, like he could, he could have the best work ethic in the world. Like he's still going to have problems that other guys just aren't versus his level of commitment and what you hear over and over again from certain circles that he is just not doing enough in his free time to get his body ready to play.
1: So this is where things get tough, right? We're not there. We don't necessarily see all the work that does or does not get put into the off season. And, you know, without being a doctor, I think it's like difficult for me to chime in and be like, well, the weight's clearly playing a factor. Like, maybe, seems like it should be, but I can't say that with, you know, with certainty on anything here. So there are definite questions about his maturity, about his work ethic, about just kind of like being you know, an adult in understanding what you need to do. And he's 22 years old, right? He's young. I I was an idiot at 22 years old, but I also wasn't getting paid 30 plus million dollars to be a professional NBA player and needing to act a certain way. He does. And so I think that's a big part of all of this, right? And all of those things that you mentioned are risk factors. And when They were negotiating with Portland, and they were negotiating with Portland. You know, Portland viewed him as a risk and said, you need to basically give us more to take on Zion Williamson if you want Scoot Henderson. Like, you got to make this worth our while. You need to include other first-round picks. Maybe you need to include a guy like Herb Jones or Trey Murphy. And New Orleans is like, this is Zion Williamson here. You're asking for more. You should be giving us more. And it was that, like, how do you evaluate him and how do you view his value— You know, it broke down things. And that's why you were saying maybe you can get him at a discount. I don't think the Pelicans view that, but I think 29 other teams around the league kind of view it that way. And that's where you're going to have trouble getting a deal done. But a lot of those offseason things are added into that risk, right? You know, I will say he came into this past season in the best shape I've ever seen him he mm. hired a personal chef over the offseason he hired a personal trainer he was doing two a days at a gym in Florida you know getting in there at 6 a.m then doing workouts then going back to the gym in the evening eating properly and he looked fantastic and look in the 29 games that he played the dude was an absolute monster he would have been an all NBA level guy in December when the Pelicans were first in the West winning games despite Zion or despite Brandon Ingram being out with an injury they went on a seven game winning streak to do that without your second best player I think says something about the talent of Zion and what he's able to do so it's there but it's all of these other questions and we don't have answers to that yet I've seen him recently he looks good right now you know but he wasn't able to play in the playing tournament this past season because you know he'll say one thing team will say one thing the truth is he wasn't taking the rehab from the hamstring you know seriously didn't do the cardio and other things and I don't know if you could have actually played him in a game That's a big problem. Take that you've got to take that type of stuff seriously because if you're just sitting on the bench unable to play, all the talent in the world doesn't do you any good. So we've seen flashes of it. I think the other real key thing with his injuries, there's two there. They're all, they're not connected necessarily. This was a hamstring this year, and hamstrings are very tricky. A foot injury on a big man is somewhat common, which is what he dealt with the uh, last season. You know, his rookie year it was a torn meniscus in his knee. It's not the same thing that keeps getting injured over and over and over again. And maybe that gives you a little bit of confidence with all of that. The flip side of that though is Every single injury he's had, they'll give a timeline, and they miss the timeline by months. Yeah. It's not, okay, maybe in two, you know four to six weeks he'll be back, then it's eight weeks he's back. It's, okay, four to six weeks, and now we're four months into this, and he's st- still not playing basketball. The fact that he keeps missing these injury timelines set by doctors who know their stuff, that's something that I think is maybe the biggest concern out of all of it.
0: Yeah, I... I think that is my hesitancy. And maybe, maybe Portland's when when you have these conversations around him, because you, you hear that like, oh, like he wants to, I mean, at least early in his career, like, oh, he wants to be in New York. He wants to be in a bigger market. And I, I keep, I always come back to as like, as someone who is a, a, on a smaller scale, making a lot less money, a chronic procrastinator myself. I'm like, yeah, but that, that wouldn't change necessarily in that it might even be worse in that environment because you're out of excuses. You're like, all right, you got exactly where you wanted to be. What's the deal at this point? And I think some of those same things would happen, and you're just kind of hoping. And it's kind of the same argument with the Knicks trading for Paul George for the perfect storm, and, and that that's where I want to um, head to next. You touched on it a little bit, but we, we've been, we've been all pessimism. Like again, there's a reason why this guy is so coveted despite all the injuries the 30 games he played this year were ridiculous. Like he averaged just under 30 points per game in December. Um, this is the second podcast in a row I'm, I'm going to reference. The Knicks fans are going to kill me, but I'm also a fan of the Suns. And I remember just the junks he had against the Suns, like at the end of those games and, and watching those games. And there was just a feeling of, hey, you beat us last year. I wasn't here. It's different this time around. You have no answer to me. And at least against Phoenix, That was true. Would it have been true in the Western Conference finals against Denver, in the Western Conference semis against the Golden State or in LA? I'm not sure about that. But Jake, like in that superstar echelon, where is this guy right now? Because the only thing I can compare it to is Joel Embiid, where he missed the first two years of his career. And then he started playing and and there was this feeling of like, oh my, this guy is so talented, that unconditioned, frankly, like untested uh, over a large scale against NBA competition, he still looks like one of the best 10 guys in the league. And that's why people were so, so high on Zion initially. And you have people like Jonathan Gavoni, who loved the draft more than anything else, going on the low post podcast and saying stuff like, you can't trade Zion for Scoot Henderson. Like, like he, he is a different level. Like, is, is that in your mind true about him and to what extent?
1: Yeah. I mean, look, that's why he wasn't dealt. You know, that's a big part of it, right? Like they could have included more. They could have gotten Scoot Henderson if they really wanted to. And at the end of the day, they're like, no, we're also good with our team. This is a supremely talented basketball player. He hadn't played basketball in like 18 months before the start of last season. And then, as you said, just under 30 points per game, he dishes the ball. He shoots 70% at the rim. He's unstoppable, right? Like, this is a guy that doesn't have a lot of moves. There's no mid-range game. There's no three-point shot. There's no floaters or anything. He goes to the left, and he scores that way. And everyone knows what he's doing, and he still averaged almost 30 points per game on hyper-efficient shooting, draws fouls, gets to the line, does all of those things that you want. Look, he's similar to Julius Randle. Right. In a sense, Randall goes to the left and scores that way. Randall shoots threes more now, but that's what he does. You just can't stop it when Zion does it. Even when teams try to do it, there's some, there's something there. He is such a talented basketball player. And the way that I've described it was I probably, if I were running the team, would not trade Zion Williamson. You know, if you trade Zion and you get Scoot Henderson and Zion goes and figures it all out, puts it all together, becomes kind of like that perfect player you need him to be, you're going to get fired. You're going to get fired. doesn't matter how good Scoot Henderson is. He's not going to be as good as Zion when Zion is doing all of his things. So if I'm going to get fired, I may as well go down on the Zion Williamson ship because that's the best chance of winning a title. He's a guy that could be an MVP level player. I don't know if that's Scoot Henderson's ceiling. I know it could be Zion's ceiling. And talent wins out in the NBA, and you need at least one MVP level guy on your roster to win a title. So if I'm going to get fired, I'm going to get fired because I bet, uh, you know, I went all in on Zion Williamson. And I think that's probably the. It's risky, but, you know, it's a burden hand. You know what he can be. We still haven't seen Scoot Henderson in the NBA. So for all of that talent that he has, I think you just have to roll with it. And the Pelicans looked at this team. You know, first in the West in December. And look, you don't win an NBA championship in December, but you don't get to first in the West, you know, as a fluke. And they were winning games even without Brandon Ingram, and they were being led by Zion doing all of his Zion things, and he was better defensively this season than he ever had been before. So I think they were just like, okay, that's getting too rich for us. We're good. We'll we'll do what we can to make him happy. We'll go from there, and we think we're going to be good enough to compete.
0: Yeah, it's it's the old old Herm Edwards, my, uh, my former college's coach. Uh, you, you play to win the game, and Zion gives you an avenue for that. And on the Knicks side of things, it's where all these conversations get so tricky now because on our end, right, the Knicks have their best season um, outside of 12-13 in 20 years. They're in the most sustainably built place they are in 20 years. And, and you do, again, a podcast on someone like Paul George, on someone like Zion Williamson, guys who are immense talents, an immense risk. Zion is a greater talent than Paul George. He's also, in some ways, even though he's uh, ten years younger, a greater risk than Paul George's. And you, you have this pushback, like, like, no, nah, we're good. We're we're a fifty-win team, and like, yeah, we are fifty-win team, and, and we do have potentially add more to that, and we do have plenty of picks and plenty of flexibility. But when do you get to buy low on an MVP candidate? And that that that's what Zion Williamson represents. And and I guess the question is. How low do you get to buy? And if you're a team like the Knicks, who's in a good position and maybe not a great position, do you get to buy low enough where there's still enough left there that you could win a title if you get the best case scenario with Zion? But I guess, Jake, I want to know the flip side of that. What's the worst case scenario for the Pelicans? Like like how do things have to play out for Zion to get dealt to a team like New York?
1: I think he's got to basically miss not, you know, not play next season or miss a ton of games. That's what it's going to take. They are at a bit of a breaking point, right? And I do think most fans view it this way. I kind of view it this way. You have two superstar players in Zion Williamson, to a lesser degree, right? Brandon Ingram, you know, a one-time all-star superstars wrong word for him. Very good player, but he also misses a ton of games. He's only played 60% of the games for the Pelicans. The past two seasons, he missed 29 straight games with a toe injury this year. That wasn't as severe as the one Desmond Bain had during the season, and Brandon Ingram missed more games, I think, than that. That's not a good look, and so if this team doesn't stay healthy this year. I I joke that on my show, I could just do a podcast every day saying health, 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 and that's 20 minutes of that, and it would be correct every single day that I do it. So... That's what it comes down to. If Zion can't play enough games, like you just you can't do it anymore. You know they've done everything they can to set him up for success, and for whatever reason, it's not working. Whether it's the team, whether it's him, whether it's just fluke and bad injury voodoo here in New Orleans, or something like that. At a certain point, you've just got to move on. You're a year away from that, and I think when you look at it, you know you you're saying like, can they buy low on an MVP candidate? I think. 29 teams around the league think you can for Zion, and the one team that's saying no, you can't, is the Pelicans, and it's ultimately up to them what they'll accept in an offer for that. I think part of that's tied to his extension kicking in this year. It's five years of team control. There's no player option at the end of that. His extension's kicking in without the Rose Rule all NBA stuff because he didn't play enough games to to make it. So it saves the team about 40 million dollars over five years on that. That's not an insignificant amount. His contract, you know, compared to some of the new deals we're going to see, is going to look Fantastic if he ends up playing on it, but because it's low enough, you know they might say like we can keep taking our chances with this. You know if he demands out, they can just say like no, we're not we're not going to do that here. You you signed a five year extension, you're stuck here if we want to keep you. So they're in no rush to do it necessarily, other than maybe they're just like, yeah, we can't do this anymore. Or David Griffin gets fired, a new GM comes in, and they're like, all right, we're going to completely change this up because what was happening before didn't work. But I don't think the Pelicans are going to take a buy-low option on him right now, especially with him being on team control. You know, there have been a lot of reports out there they don't want to trade Brandon Ingram. They would trade Zion before. But if you look at the two, you know, B.I. only has two more years left on his contract. If he's going to get paid in a deal that looks very similar to Bradley Beal's current contract, and no one likes that deal, maybe you look at moving him before you look at moving a guy like Zion Williamson. So I, I don't see Zion going anywhere else. But if it does, you know, end up, okay, some injury happens, he misses the whole season, yeah, I think they'll at least start to consider it more so than they have at a lower price.
0: Yeah, I, I think, and I, I think by low is a relative term, right? I'm I'm still like, yeah, of course. I, I think I think of it very similar to Donovan Mitchell, where Zion is clearly another level of talent. But you put in everything we've talked about over the last 25 to 30 minutes, and, and you say, all right, like maybe, maybe that's a similar place. And for the Knicks, at least for Donovan, that was too rich for their blood last year. Because you're looking at, RJ and Quentin Grimes and maybe Emmanuel quickly. And then a couple of first round picks. And if you're a team like the Knicks, you maybe come to the conclusion like, all right, like it was Zion and, and Jalen Brunson and, and Julius Randle, that would be a terrible fit. And like Julius Randle turned into something equivalent as a wing. Is that enough? And maybe if you're the Knicks, the guy you're pursuing is a Brandon Ingram who fits that Paul George mold of the big wing that the Knicks just don't have, and some people want to bet on RJ Barrett to be those guys. I see RJ as maybe a notch below that, um, but that archetype of player to me, like either I want a Zion, like a rim-running freak, or I want someone like Ingram who can stretch out a defense, provide three-level scoring. I, I guess Jake, I, we can finish up as as simply as this: like, do you think a deal that involved like a good chunk of the Knicks' young assets, all the first-round picks? Would that get it done in the in the doomsday Zion scenario? Or are they, again, citing those five years of team control, maybe trading him to a team like OKC okay, and Zion says, wait, I'm not going to be any happier there. I don't want to go there. And New Orleans is just saying too bad. Like, we'll we'll take a Chet and a Josh
1: Giddey and six first round picks and call it a day. Yeah, that's that's where I lean. I I, I struggle to like a Knicks package that much where I'd be like, yeah, do that deal. That's good for New Orleans. You know, again, that five-year contract that he's on gives the team so much – leverage in all of this right and it'll come down to teams wonder you know and their kind of risk aversion can you bring him in and if he's unhappy are you just going to say like screw you zion and hope you can sell him on it and there's going to be teams that will do that particularly small market teams maybe it is okc right knowing they have all of that draft capital a lot of young players that they've hit on recently going no you can come here we'll try and sell you on it and we're not too stressed about it right now. So I think that's the direction that it would go. I don't know if New Orleans would really be, and I'm sorry for this, you know, too attracted by like a package centered around Grimes, around RJ Barrett and those type of players. Um, I I think they would need something more than that, right? It was Scoot Henderson or bust for New Orleans right now. They want a guy that they view that highly. And like, I can't overstate how highly valued Scoot Henderson was by this organization, right? They view him as he would have been number one and if it wasn't for Victor Wembanyama, they think he'd be like number one next year, probably number one last year. And they have him as a pretty comparable prospect, I think, to a guy like John Morant, who everyone was really high on, too. So unless you're getting someone at that level, they're probably going to keep rolling the dice with Zion for the foreseeable future unless something really, really bad happens. And even then, they still might try and wait it out.
0: I guess the flip side of that is you're trying to build around Zion does RJ with that relationship in terms of you're saying like, all right, we're going, we're going to appeasement, right? We're just trying to keep this guy happy. Does RJ another young piece and a bunch of picks in a world where Brandon Ingram's on the block? Does that get it done? Like, like do you think that's maybe the more realistic deal that could be done with
1: the two teams? Maybe. Maybe. It's, the reason I think they'd be looking to move Brandon Ingram is more of a salary cap situation, right? He's a salary cap casualty at that point. The Pelicans are one of two teams in NBA history that have never paid the luxury tax. I don't know if they will. So if they're going to be in an upcoming salary cap crisis, you need to provide, you know, alleviation for that sort of thing. So if RJ Barrett, right, he's on an extension or is going to be on an extension, right? He's yeah. earning he, something he like 20. 26 million a year about yeah 26 million you know brandon ingram's making 33.8 this year yeah there's some help there but it's still long term money and i wonder if new orleans would rather be getting like expiring contracts to kind of clear some salary clear some you know money off the books that's where i think that could get a little bit iffy right if you're trading him for a comparable salary player there's there's a gap there don't get me wrong i just don't know if that's going to be enough for new orleans to be like Okay, yeah, let's get off of Brandon Ingram. I think part of the reason they looked at Scoot Henderson is this is a dude we love who's going to be on a cost controlled rookie deal for four years, then the rookie extension after that, which is doable for us. So it resets them where they are in the salary cap situation. It's trading, for, you know, let's just say the trade's more or less in a vacuum, Brandon Ingram for RJ Barrett. I don't think it provides that same kind of relief as trading Brandon Ingram for a future third overall pick or something like that, where you get that guy in a much cheaper contract. All right, Jake, uh, this is the second straight one of these
0: conversations that's left me bummed out at the end. But I love talking to you all the same. Um, One final time before I let you go, can you tell everyone where they can find uh, all your great work?
1: Of course, Locked on Pelicans. It's like wherever you search Locked on Knicks. Just put Pelicans in there. I'm on Locked on NBA every Wednesday too. So it's uh, interesting times. We'll see what happens. All right, awesome. Thank you, Jake Madison. Thank you to everyone who tuned in.
0: Uh, One final time, Locked on Pelicans, Locked on Knicks. Subscribe wherever you get podcasts. And we'll talk to you soon.